Before we get started today, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to fill out our listener survey. We want to know more about you, what you think of this podcast, and what you'd like to hear more from us. So if you could, please go to our show notes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Speaking of Psychology, or go to our website at www.speakingofpsychology.org and look for the link to the listener survey. We'd really appreciate it. Now, on to the episode. Very few people do their jobs entirely on their own. For most of us, our work is enmeshed with other people's work, and doing our job well often means being part of a well-functioning team. The stakes of teamwork can be high, especially in workplaces where errors have dire consequences, such as emergency rooms or air traffic control towers. In those settings, a breakdown in teamwork can be the difference between life and death. Over the past decades, psychologist research has helped organizations from hospitals to military units to airlines develop better functioning and more effective teams. So what does good teamwork look like? What are the key ingredients of a highly effective team versus one that's a dysfunctional mess? And what does good team training include? Do you have to like your coworkers to function as an effective team? Is it possible to make any team work together? Also, what are the differences between working on remote versus in-person teams? Or are teamwork issues the same whether you're seeing each other in person or on Zoom? Welcome to Speaking of Psychology, the flagship podcast of the American Psychological Association that examines the links between psychological science and everyday life. I'm Kim Mills. My guest today is Dr. Eduardo Salas, a professor and chair of the Department of Psychological Sciences at Rice University. He is an industrial organizational and human factors psychologist whose research focuses on understanding how teams work and how to design and implement effective team training strategies. Dr. Salas has co-authored more than 600 journal articles and book chapters, co-edited 33 books and authored two books on team training and the science of teamwork. His most recent book is Teams That Work, The Seven Drivers of Team Effectiveness. Dr. Salas is an APA fellow and won APA's 2016 Award for Outstanding Lifetime Contributions to Psychology. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Salas. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. You relate an anecdote at the beginning of your book where a business leader you were working with said, we don't have time for teamwork here. We have a business to run. Why is it important for organizations to think about teamwork, and do you find that particular perspective is common? Yeah, so uh, that's one of the myths uh, myths out there, right? So my, in, in my uh, going around the, the corporate world, especially most uh, CEOs, most leaders think that they're doing a, a great job with teams and, then, and, and, that, and that they're good team players. However, when they learn about the science and the principles that we have to offer, all of a the sudden they say, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't think uh, about that. And then they, do, they try to do something uh, different. So, so some CEOs and some, again, corporate uh, executives really don't have a good grasp about the science of teamwork and what the science of teamwork can offer. 
So what makes for a good, highly effective team? What have researchers found are the key ingredients needed for a team to function well? Yeah, that's so, uh, you know, in a simple way, we, we look for three kinds of things. You know, it's the ABCs. What, what are the attitudes? What are the behaviors? And what are the cognitions? So the attitude is, right, the mindset, what, what, how the team members think about uh, the collected activity and their motivations and their goals. The behaviors is about the role clarity, uh, who's responsible for what, who's going to back me up, who is going to do what, when. And the cognitions is uh, in general about a shared understanding of the task, a shared understanding of the goals, uh, a shared understanding of the mission, what is it that we're trying to uh, accomplish. So under these, under the ABCs, there are a set of competencies uh, that affected teams um, uh, essentially master. And and that's what team training does or teamwork training of some kind. And and so, we know what are the ABCs now, and you noted in our book uh, with my colleague Scott Tannenbaum, we outline seven drivers, right? And, and we invoke uh, the seven C's of teamwork uh, in, in that book. So, is any one of these factors more important than another? And what what happens if a team is missing one of these drivers? Well. They're all interrelated, uh, and, and they built on each other, right? So, so you can, in a way, can compensate uh, one for the other. But at the end, uh, in order to be a well-functioning team, uh, a team that is resilient and that, and that has good performance over time, you, you need all these ingredients, and and. So what are these ingredients? So let me go through the seven C's real quickly and so that the listeners can understand. So uh, the first C is a capability, right? This is about uh, having the right people um, in the team. It's about uh, having talented, uh, competent uh, team members. And the first rule of teamwork really is, or one of the rules of teamwork is, you cannot be a good team member if you don't know your job. And, and so you have to have uh, the capability uh, and you have to have the right mix of people. The, the second uh, C is uh, cooperation. Cooperation is about the mindset. It's about, I like being in a team. I want to be in a team. I seek uh, the input from others I, and I value the input uh, from others. Um, the third C is coordination. And coordination is about the behaviors. Again, who is going to uh, back me up? Who's going to help me? Um, uh, and, and who's going to do what? Uh, and and, 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 and it's, it's really about role clarity. Uh, the next thing is about cognition. And cognition is about the sheer understanding of the task. Right, uh, so it's the shared knowledge that we have as a team in order to um, to execute a task. Um, then you have communication. Communication is the way we describe it. Is really about the information exchange protocols. 
it, right? It's about the terminology, the clarity of the terminology, the timeliness of the information. Um, and then you have co coaching. Um, the way I describe this is, um, you know, coaching is about the team leaders. And what we want our team leaders to act, in a sense, is like good coaches. So what do good coaches do? They promote teamwork, right? They care about the team members. They develop them. And so that's what we want um, uh, team leaders uh, to act as uh, good coaches. And the final C is uh, conditions. And this is about the organizational conditions. Uh, it's a similar word, similar term to culture. So this is about the, the incentives, uh, the reinforcements that leadership, the top leadership um, puts in the organization to support teamwork. So, you know, in this seven Cs, it's, a, it's really not a model or a theory. It's just a heuristic to organize the body of knowledge uh, that, that we have under these things. So effective teams um, have, in a sense, managed the Cs. And, and they, uh, uh, especially the first six Cs, right? The last one being conditions. So, you know, they have the right people. They, ha they, they have role clarity. They have a shared understanding of the task. They, they have uh, robust information exchange protocols. And they work under conditions that are supportive of the teamwork. So in general, that's how this works. So what happens if you are handed a team or you're put on a team and you don't really have a lot of power around uh, the selection of who the team members are? What, what can you do as a person who either inherits or is placed on a team if you're seeing that some of these C's are not being followed to, to the letter, so to speak? Yeah. So, you know, there are a number of, of tools uh, that, that you can use, uh, you know, in our science, we have un uncovered that teams that pre-brief, pre-brief, perform, and debrief outperform those that don't. So pre-briefing is basically, you know, you just join this team or this, this team is a little disjoint, disjointed. Uh, then, okay, before we perform, before like pilots do, before they go to the cockpit or before the flight, they pre-brief. And they talk about, okay, where are we headed? Uh, you know, how are we going to communicate? Who's going to do what? So, you know, this pre-briefing, if, if, if you have the, 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 the chance to do that, allows you to clarify roles, uh, to uh, get an idea of who's going to do what, who has what knowledge, who has what expertise, how we're going to communicate. And then you perform, right? You do the task. It could be a, an hour, three hours, a few days, a month, or whatever. But at some point, you need to debrief. And debriefing, like my um, colleague Scott uh, Tannenbaum says, you know, is the most powerful, um, simple uh, intervention uh, yet underutilized uh, to learn and to improve. So the, the, the debriefing is a reflection on what just happened. And in that reflection, usually you need to what usually happens is you try to understand what things you need to improve, what things didn't go well, and what things you need to change. And so this cycle, again, of pre-briefing, performing, debriefing, is usually a, a good discipline that allows you to, even when you have 
a bad team or you just inherit a team that is not so good allows you it gives you the opportunity if you can do this discipline if, if this uh, um, if you can uh, this cycle uh, allows you to to learn and to improve and, and, and to get uh, if you will uh, the team in line now you've worked in some industries where it's been a challenge to get the leaders to embrace your scientific theories around teamwork I'm thinking uh, whether that's um, pilots or um, in hospitals and emergency rooms, places like that. And then you've, you've run into resistance. How have you dealt with that? Why have some industries been more resistant than others? So I started in, uh, working in aviation a long time ago, uh, 30 years or so ago. And uh, at, at the beginning, uh, pilots... Uh, were resistant as well, right? Uh, you know, in the early 80s, uh, it was about the, the right stuff, right? And, you know, and, and, and pilots were uh, more um, uh, more egotistical if, 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 to some degree. <laughs> However, um, they soon realize that when the plane goes down, they go down with the plane. And so they had to engage. And so 30 years later, I mean, just about all the airlines, uh, whether they're passenger or cargo, um, really embrace uh, team training and teamwork. Uh, they call it the CRM, crew resource management. And the FAA supports that and so forth. But so this generation of pilots completely embraces, in general, um, the concept. In healthcare, for example, uh, you don't have that hook, right? So when the patient goes down, unfortunately, only the patient goes down. And so it's, it's taking the, the healthcare, uh, it's taking healthcare a lot longer to engage. And the, the pressure uh, really has come from, you know, the patient safety movement, uh, the number of errors, uh, medical errors that uh, we still have. And, and really a, a bottoms-up approach, you know, the, the nurses, um, the technicians, the people who really, quote-unquote, touch uh, patients, uh, see the need to, to do things better uh, for the patient. And little by little, kind of, kind of like uh, one team at a time in healthcare now, while there's still some resistance, um, it's a lot less than it was 20 years ago. Um, and, and the resistance comes from, uh, I see it from two angles. One angle is a financial angle, which uh, most CEOs, uh, chief financial officers, and so forth worry about is, if I'm, I'm going to invest in team training, what is it that I'm going to get for that investment? And it wasn't until very recently that we were able really to answer that question when we've done a number of uh, team training evaluations, meta-analyses, that really sh uh, show uh, the boost that you get out of uh, team training. Uh, and so, so now we can answer that. So we say there's value and there's a performance improvement. If you, if you deploy teamwork, this is the benefit you get. And in healthcare, we, we have been able to show that uh, to some degree that hospitals that deploy teamwork training versus those that don't, and uh, air, medical error is reduced and mortality is reduced. So there's a link, you know, uh, between teamwork and saving lives. So, so, so that, 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 
that uh, has been uh, one. And, and the second, uh, my opinion, at least in my experience of doing this for a long time now, is if they buy that they have to deploy teamwork training, uh, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to implement it. They don't know how to de to make sure that the uh, there's some sustainability of the behaviors that the people, uh, the new behaviors and cognitions and attitudes that the um, the staff just got. And, and, and so, you know, it, it, it takes them uh, some time to get traction to create the conditions, one of the C's, to create the conditions such that uh, people uh, perceive uh, uh, teamwork is important, is reinforced, it, it uh, you know uh, it, it improves uh, patient safety, it improves uh, patient care, uh, and, and, and so forth. So there have been those two lines. You know, is, is team what's the ROI return on investment from team training, and then in, in how do we roll this out? So that is sustainable uh, over a period of time and not just a, you know, a one-time event. So what does effective team training look like and how can a company or another organization tell if their team training is actually working? Yeah. So first of all, there, there are several models uh, out there in, in, in the industry. You know, the, the medical community created uh, a, a, a team training program called Team Steps with double P, uh, one word together. Um, and to simplify, any any training, not only team training, but any training at the end of the day does four things. It gives you information, uh, demonstration of good behaviors by behaviors, gives you opportunity to practice, and you get feedback. So information, demonstration, practice, and feedback. So these team steps and, and, and other systems that we that that are out there, by and large, have those four components, right? And, and so uh, you learn about the uh, the, the, uh, the the team uh, principles. You look at videos of good teams and bad teams, and you can analyze them and and, and you know and get a, extract uh, what's good and bad about each of these uh, videotapes, for example. Then you get opportunities to practice. You might role play. You might use a simulation, and so forth. And then you get feedback on that. So, uh, training or team training that has those four elements um, have a higher probability of of, uh, of transfer of training. In other words, that people will apply the skills they just learned back 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 uh, to to, uh, to the job. Um, however. You know, just deploying team training, it, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's really not enough. Uh, there is a science of training as well, and the science of training tells us that uh, there are things that you need to worry about after you, um, before you deploy the training and after you deploy the training things. So before the um, you deploy the training, you need to prepare the organization for the training. You train supervisors. You make sure everybody's on board. Uh, to that, and, and actually, most team training or most training fails because the organization doesn't, is not ready to receive the training. So, uh, and then you have to worry about afterwards, right? Do you uh, are you supportive of, of the skills that um, the competencies that the people just got? 
Do you reinforce that? Do you give an opportunity to perform? Do you, uh, you know, measure them, uh, this new this competency? So long story is good team training. You need to worry about things that you do before the team training, things you do during the team training, which I, I just explained, the information demonstration practice, and things that you do after training. Now, we, there have been many evaluations uh, of uh, medical team training and other team training, and the two or three meta-analyses, and for the audience, the meta-analysis and, and integration of, uh, of uh, many findings, um, a quantitative integration of many findings. Uh, These meta-analyses clearly show the benefit of team training. You know, it, it boosts performance, reduces errors, people are more engaged, people are more satisfied, uh, it, it creates innovation and, and, and things of that sort. So how important are individual differences, such as personalities, in determining how well a, a team works together? I mean, are there really some people who just aren't team players, or can pretty much any group of personalities be instructed, taught how to work together? Yeah, the, the easiest example I have is um, uh, most of us, well, not most of us, all of us have a disposition. Either we're collective-oriented or we are egocentric. If you're collective-oriented, you like being in teams, you want to be in teams, and again, you seek and value the input from others. Uh, the egocentric uh, disposition are the lone wolves, uh, people who don't, don't engage in collective activity uh, no matter what you do. So in teams, you need people who are collective-oriented. You know, uh, I, I give you a, a sports example uh, that I love to use. Love to use. So Michael Jordan, you know, one of the greatest basketball players ever, in his biography, he acknowledges that, you know, when he was uh, part of the Chicago Bulls, um, it wasn't until uh, the he says until he, he was it wasn't until we got uh, Scotty Pippen in the pools that we began to win championships. And those in the audience who doesn't know about Scotty Pippen, he's a retired player now, but he was a great defensive player, um, not a high scorer, uh, but he had the most assists. He passed the ball a lot. And so you, so he, in the sense, he was collective oriented. So the star of the team needed somebody that would pass the ball. In teams, you need that. You need somebody who's going to be passing the ball. Uh, and, and so that that in, in, in uh, that that is a, a disposition um, that you need to have. Now, there's some research, however, that, that shows that egocentric individuals under some circumstances engage in collective activity, and then when though when those factors are no longer there, then they go back to being egocentric. So. Um, you, you just have to find what are those conditions. <laughs> now, many people have made the switch to working remotely in the past three years. Are there big differences between working on remote teams versus in-person teams? Yeah. The biggest challenge is making connections, in my, in my views, uh, to, to simplify things. So, you know, we started this discussion by, by uh, talking about the ABCs, right? The uh, attitudes, behaviors, and cognitions. So, uh, 
in, in remote, uh, in a remote setting, or even in Zoom, you know, how do you keep the those connections, the behaviors, the cognitions, and the attitudes? It's it's uh, it's, it's it's quite challenging, and you know, how do you keep the trust, right? Um, and, and, and so, um, the, the, in, in a sense, the, the science helps you, uh, helps uh, uh, co-located teams and distributed teams of, or teams that don't see each other in, in a way. It's just that uh, sometimes um, some of the Cs are, are more important and more challenging when you are distributed. The, bigger, the biggest problem or the biggest challenge that distributed teams have or hybrid teams is trust. How, how do I, how do you, this mutual trust. And mutual trust is needed so that you can have some psychological safety, which is psychological safety is the license that you have to speak up, right? Uh, and, and very quickly, you know, all teams sooner or later engage in conflict. And one way to resolve conflict is this psychological safety. You have to be able to, to have hard, difficult conversations about something w without any repercussions. So that's the difficulty in, 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 in distributed teams or uh, teams that don't, they don't see each other. How do they create this little uh, trust so they can get to know each other? I've seen examples where... Uh, in banks, for example, when they have teams that are distributed all over the world, um, they, they try to create events. Uh, they, they, they call this the uh, water cooler event, right? So when you go to the water cooler, you have a you know a ten five minute conversation with your teammate about something uh, that has nothing to do with the, with the job, maybe, right? You know, what, what did you do this weekend? My kid is doing that, that kind of thing. So these teams. Um, Try to create this uh, water cooler uh, uh, event. Um, I've seen them, for example, uh, when they, uh, one of the banks that I've, I've helped uh, Monday mornings when they have the first meeting, um, they take turns uh, around the, the around the team, and each uh, uh, one of the members always uh, takes about five minutes, and that's all, five minutes to talk about. Their kids, or what did they do? What did they do the, during the weekend? Uh, something on that side, to kind of like to break the ice a little bit, but also to learn about you. And and then over time, it creates the distress. Uh, what about uh, there are places, for example, um, where you can go and do team building exercises, um, ropes courses, things like that. I mean, are, are those that sound similar to the water cooler idea, but a little different in that you know, you're really outside of the workplace and you might be doing something that looks like it could be a little bit perilous and you might have to depend on one of your coworkers to make sure that you don't fall on your face. Does that make for a more effective team or is this just sort of, you know, we're really just having fun and then we're going to go back and be a bad team, that we're, the same that we were before? Uh, <laughs> well, um, let me tell you the story. So there's a difference between team building and team training in my mind. Team training is about uh, getting team competencies, you know, uh, the C's or the ABC's that I talked about. So it's about team competencies. Team building is like you just described. You know, you go into the wilderness of North Carolina somewhere and you wine and dine for three days and you do tasks and that's a good job. That's really about role clarity. Uh, that the biggest benefit of that. 
because during those three days, again, you want to dine with your teammate, and along the way, you're going to talk about what each other is, what you do, and you're going to learn about that. So about almost 20 years ago, maybe it needs to be updated, I did a meta-analysis of, uh, again, a quantitative integration of team building. And I found very little correlation with performance, uh, which a lot of consultants uh, didn't like. Uh, but but um, uh, and, and so, but, but there's a benefit of team building. You know, you get this role clarity, you, you learn more about your teammates and so forth. But team training is about competencies. It's very uh, different. So that the two have a place. It's just that um, you need to make sure that you understand the benefits of, of uh, each one. I want to ask you how your background in the military influenced your work as a psychologist and, and in your interest in teams. Sure. So I worked for the Navy for 15 years. And I was hired to um, to develop a team performance laboratory at that time. And interestingly enough, um, in order to do that, uh, with my uh, colleagues uh, that I recruited and, and, and the students, uh, what we needed to do is in, immerse ourselves in the context um, where the Marines, uh, airmen, women uh, were performing. So what I learned working for the military was that in order to help, in order to understand what the teams do and the help they need, I needed to learn the context, embed myself in what they do. So the beauty, one of the most satisfying things of my career over the last almost 40 years now is that uh, when, when I go and try to help um, organizations, I embed myself and my colleagues in the context and learn. You know, we, we sweat with them. We, we, you know, we wake up early. Uh, we stay late. Whatever uh, the demand is, and it, I learned that in the military um, early on. That when you sweat with them, uh, then they listen to you, uh, and they respect you. You're not this ivory tower professor or whatever researcher doing things. And so um, when I left uh, working for the Navy in, in 1999 or so, um, I took that with me and said, you know, if, if I'm going to learn, I've, I've done work with air traffic controllers. I've done work in healthcare for banks, for uh, uh, NASA. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, oil and gas, you know, I've embedded myself and, and then learn, and then you can contextualize then the the interventions and, and, and then use the psychological principles that we know to adapt to their environment. And it has a tremendous impact because they, they get it. It's, it's their context. But, you know, but, but the psychological principles that we use kind of across all these industries, by the way. Uh, it's just that you contextualize them. So that's what I learned in the military. Uh, it's, it's um, uh, you know, I call it sweating, sweating with them. <laughs> what happens if a team falls into 
conflict and gets stuck, uh, and it really doesn't seem to be working effectively. Are there some techniques that can be applied to fix it, or do you just blow it up and say, this team is just not going to cut it? Uh, well, uh, coaching is one, of the, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if you can get an external uh, uh, view, uh, that's what do. Another uh, way is, that, you know, I learned this from my colleague, Scott Tannemann, again, he, you know, there's a, a technique. Uh, if you can engage in a technique uh, to self-diagnose, right? So you usually ask maybe three questions, you know, as a team, what things we need to stop doing? As a team, what things we need to start doing? And as a team, what things we need to improve? So if you have psychological safety and, and you can speak up, then in the, you do this diagnosis of your team, stop, start, continue. Uh, you'll find out what, what's wrong and what's creating the conflict and what things we need to do to ensure that we don't get in, into, into this uh, mode. Um, so, th so there are uh, techniques. It's just, again, you have to have the discipline of, 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 of uh, okay, let's talk about this, right? Let, 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 let's get serious. The, the team is now functioning well. We're, we're, you know, we're not taking care of the patient. We're not doing whatever. Uh, you know, we're we're exhibiting unsafe behavior. Let's we, we need to do something. So time out. Let's talk about this. And then you you say, okay, we need to stop doing this. Start continue. Does every team to be effective have to have a designated leader, or is that a role that can shift as the team does its work? Yeah. No, uh, actually, I've seen in healthcare, shared leadership is, is probably, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's a way um, to function in, in some teams. You know, uh, if, you, if you get, uh, you know, the ORs is one example of that, right? At one point, uh, the anesthesiologist is leading. Uh, then it might be the technician, and then might be the surgeon, uh, and then back to the anesthesiologist. So it rotates. So no, I don't. Uh, you know, uh, more and more jobs, and and more and more teams uh, have shared leadership. You know, somebody with uh, with the right expertise steps in at the right time uh, to lead, to facilitate, and and. and so last question, what, what are you working on now? What are the big questions you still want to answer? What motivates me now after doing all this work for all these years is what are the organizational conditions that are needed so that the, the behaviors, cognitions, and attitudes are sustained over time? So how do we create organizations? How do we design organizations? How does the leadership, the, the, the C-suite, needs to act and, and, and what things they need to do in order to ensure that, that the behaviors, that, that teamwork is sustained over time and it, it becomes part of the DNA of the organization, right? It gets ingrained. So I, I think that's, that's the, the, one of the biggest uh, challenges. Um, but these days, I mean, there's all kinds of technologies going on. There's, you know, there's human uh, automation uh, uh, teams, there's human robot teams, uh, there's robot to robot teams, and so now there are other. You know, I'm I'm not an expert in those, and uh, uh, but there I know there are there. There's a lot of interesting 
in this kind of teaming, right? The, um, with, with AI, with uh, automation, with a robot. Um, and so uh, that's also the kind of questions that uh, other scientists, scholars are trying to answer, you know, how do you mimic, how do two robots mimic teamwork? All the things that I've uh, talked about to some degree. And, and so, but to me, uh, my, uh, the things that interest me is, are those conditions and, and, and trans translate the science the psychological science that we have, the principles that we have, so that people can use them and apply and, and improve their teams and their lives and, and so forth and so on. So that's what turns me on these days is the translation. Well, this is all really interesting. I very much appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Dr. Silas. Thank you for having me. You can find previous episodes of Speaking of Psychology on our website at www.speakingofpsychology.org or on Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And again, we'd like to hear from you about what you think of this podcast and what you'd like us to talk about more than we are now. So please go to our website, speakingofpsychology.org, and look for a link to our listener survey. If you have comments or ideas for future podcasts, you can email us at speakingofpsychology at apa.org. Speaking of Psychology is produced by Lee Weinerman. Our sound editor is Chris Kondayan. Thank you for listening. For the American Psychological Association, I'm Kim Mills. Mm-hmm.